Thanks so much. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, I am excited. I uh, drive past this church uh, so many times a year uh, that it it kind of amazes me. But it's great because every time I look over this direction and I see the New Life sign, I think there is a piece of my home. Um, because of churches like you, uh, my wife Tanya, who's uh, going back to uh, the, the board this morning to run media for me, um, we're able to do what we do. And I know sometimes when missionaries come or we see pictures of missionaries, we wonder, what are these people up to exactly? And I just wanted to tell you, just before I start, that uh, God gives all kinds of incredible opportunities. But what we believe God has called us to do is take the opportunities to reach out to people who are in the most desperate situations, the most difficult situations, and that takes a lot of different forms for us. Uh, I spent most of the summer uh, traveling the dirt roads of Mexico, about 200 miles south of the border. We're working with indigenous people, especially uh, traffic moms and their children and uh, abused women. And we took a couple hundred people with us. We've built over 90 homes there, a community for single moms we call Hope Village. We're building a summer camp there right now. Uh, God has opened all kinds of opportunities. Last week, I spent the week in Nicaragua. As a matter of fact, I just got back yesterday. Uh, I traveled with a friend who uh, we just kind of went at the last second. Um, We're trying to get a shoe initiative going there in Nicaragua. It's the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere and just absolutely abject poverty. It's just incredible what has happened because of communism and violence and just all kinds of things. And we took 50 pairs of shoes there. We're uh, meeting with people about building shoes there for children. Uh, We've been a part of um, helping fund 19 wells for communities without clean water, a school that is going on there. And we're hoping to import 5,000 laptop computers uh, to schools there uh, in in the very near future and working on human trafficking there. In just a few weeks from now, I travel to Pensacola, Florida for two weeks, where we'll deal with exploitation and suicide and speak to over 30,000 students in nine school days. Um, God provides a lot of opportunities. And sometimes people say to me, uh, Jeff, how does all of this crazy stuff happen? And I say, well, uh, I have poor judgment. See, I just think when God opens a door, that that might be the sign that you should walk through that door. Now, I can tell you, that sometimes you find yourself in some interesting situations, but sometimes you find amazing opportunities that if you hadn't walked through that door, if you hadn't opened that door, you would never see it. When Pastor Troy told me, he said, we're in the middle of a series called Unblock It, I got so excited about uh, what I'm going to speak with you about today because I believe that God opens those doors, but it's really up to us to decide whether we're going to go through those doors into what God has um, brought to us. And so I'm just really excited, and I just want to say thank you so much for um, your church and supporting us. I wonder if you'd do something with me really quickly. I wonder, I I know, you know, I didn't grow up Catholic. I went to Catholic church one time uh, when I was in Bible college because I was supposed to for a class. And they sit up and stand down almost like, it. you know, I mean, they stand up and sit down almost like it's aerobics. And, uh, but I kind of enjoyed it. I got some exercise. So I wonder if you would stand with me this morning really quickly, and as we would just, uh, I wonder if you'd repeat after me as we would just invite the Lord one more time today. Say, dear God, God, I'm so glad I'm here, here. and God, today, today, you can say say whatever you want to me. I'm listening. I mean that. that. Really. Really. In Jesus' name, name. Amen. amen. 
All right, as you're sitting down, say the person next to you, if you just lied to God, you are in big trouble. Um, my wife and I have two children, and my wife is uh, an excellent mother, like world class, uh, you know, really an all-star, could uh, teach other people how to do it. I, however, am a questionable father. I'm not a bad father. I'm a good dad, but I know I must be questionable because people are constantly questioning my methods of fatherhood. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife, you know, I travel constantly. My wife only leaves every once in a while. About one weekend a year, she leaves me, usually around her birthday. That's her idea of a birthday present to herself, is leaving me and her children behind. Uh, and when she does, uh, I've noticed something amazing. She brings down a schedule. Now, keep in mind, my children are 14 and 16 years old. We've kept them alive successfully to this point, and we foresee doing that into the future. But she brings me a schedule for just maybe two nights and three days. And I'm not a by that, that's helpful. You know, you, you know where the food is, everything. But when my mother-in-law, who lives with us, brings down, and she also has a copy of the schedule, and she is checking up that I'm keeping these two teenage children alive, I realize, okay, that makes me, uh, somebody is questioning my ability to do this for the weekend. When a friend comes over that lived with us for a couple of years and helped us with the children, comes over and she has a schedule, you know that you're a questionable parent at that point. And sometimes I have conversations with my children that, you know, it, it, people just kind of look at me funny. Uh, I was talking to uh, my daughter not too long ago, and she was coming to me, and she was giving me one of those inevitable things. Her name is Dakota, and she uh, was talking about her, de her brother Declan, and she said, hey, how come Declan gets to do that, and I don't get to do that? And I just look at her, and I say, that's because mommy and daddy love Declan more than we love you. And she said, that's not true. I said, oh, it is true. Declan was here first. See, he preceded you by 20 months. And although when you came, we chiseled off some of the love, it would not be fair to just split it right down the middle. And she said, Dad, that's not true. When parents are born, God increases their love, so they have 100% more love to give to both children. I said, that's a lie other parents tell that I will not be a part of. And she just looked at me, and I said, you know, I said, God's love is perfect, my young daughter. My baby girl, God's love is unconditional. Daddy is not God. Every day you must earn, earn, earn. And she just looked at me and rolled her eyes like I swear she learned to do by the time she was 18 months old. And I looked at back, I said, you ever wish you just had a normal dad? And without blinking, she looked at me, she said, nope, extraordinary dad means extraordinary life. And I thought, okay, now who's earning, right? That's the kind of thing you want to hear as a questionable parent. The truth of the matter is, though, that God's love is unconditional, that God's purpose for our life is perfect, and that he has given us everything that we need to live the life that he has laid out for us. But why do we find this blockage in our life between what God has for us and where we find ourselves frequently? As a matter of fact, God's word says this in 2 Peter 3.1. Uh, one three. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Think about that for a second. The Bible says God has all power, and with that power, he has given you and me every single thing we need. It is already there, so why is it that you and I don't have everything we need if God has given us everything we need? Why do we find ourselves constantly struggling with his purpose in our lives? It's because you and I have the inability to see as a part of the human condition what God is putting right in front of us on a regular basis. 
We suffer from something that I would like to call awareness deficiency disorder, that God has put everything in front of us that we need and that we miss it on a regular basis. And I want to read to you um, from the Bible this morning, probably the strangest passage in all of the Bible. Now, I know that's saying a lot because the Bible has some really strange, amazing, and just truly incredible stories. But this might top it all of those. And it's about a guy named Balaam. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably heard the story of Balaam, but I want to look at it with you today. If you haven't grown up in church, let me march it out for you. If you've ever seen the, uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, the children of Israel, they wander the desert for 40 years after they get the Ten Commandments. But then finally, God says, it's time to go in and take the promised land. It's a beautiful place where the grapes are huge. It's flowing with milk and honey. It will be the place that you live. It, that's great for you if you're those people. But if you're the people that are already living there, not so good. And as the children of Israel, they just fight battle after battle and they win against all odds. It turns out that the people that are there, they start to figure it out. And there's a couple of kings that come together and they say, we've got to do something. The only thing makes sense is they must have more divine power than we have. Their gods must be better than our gods. And so they find a guy who seems to hear from their gods. Enter this guy, Balaam. We don't know much about Balaam up to this point. He's kind of a strange character. He's living there. He's not one of the Jewish people that's coming in, but he does somehow hear from God. And when they come to him and they say, we will pay you tons of money if you will come and you will curse these people. And Balaam says, you don't understand. He says, I don't decide what's going to happen in a battle. I can merely tell you if God shows me what's going to happen. And they said, no, you don't understand. We will back up a truckload of money. If you will do this for us, because we're going to die. We know that we have, they say, actually, they use this old-timey language. They say, they're like a herd of oxen that it devours everything in front of them. That's like, we're not good. They're ox, we're grass, we're dead. And Balaam says, well, let me ask God one more time. So he goes back to God a second time after he had already gone to God and says, can I go with these guys? And this time God, who had previously told him, don't go, I've blessed these people. You cannot go and curse them. This time he says, okay, fine. He's like, your, you know, you remember your mom would do this? Fine, go. That's what you want to do really bad. And so God does passive aggressive with Balaam and Balaam takes off with these guys, but God is not happy. And in, in verse 21, of the book of Numbers, chapter 22, we pick up the story. It says, so the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and his two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in its hand. The donkey bolted down the road into a field, but Balaam beat it back and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road to a place that was too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time the donkey saw the angel. It lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. And here's where the story gets weird. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done that deserves you beating me these three times? It asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I'm the same donkey I've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. 
Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed down his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey these three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times I saw the donkey and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you and spared the donkey. You know, that's kind of an insult to injury on that one. Then Balaam confessed to the Lord, angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you're against my going. But the angel of the Lord said, go with these men, but tell you only what I tell you to say. This time Balaam gets the message. He gets up three times, tells the kings, I'll say whatever God tells me to say. And three times he blesses the armies of Israel. Kings aren't happy, but Balaam is obedient to the Lord. And, you know, there's some interesting things about the story. I would say actually pretty strange things. Like this, I already told you, we don't know what Balaam's whole story is. Somehow, though, he does hear from God. He talks to God, and God tells him real things. He's sort of, the people, at least around him, treat him like he's some sort of psychic or sorcerer or something like that. And he will go on after this to blow it again. He'll eventually be killed after he tries to teach the people how to defeat the people of Israel. And Jesus talks about him in the Old Testament, but he is this strange character in the story. It's a strange thing. A second strange thing about this story, Balaam's donkey can talk. Okay, now listen, I know when you read the Bible a lot, we just kind of glance over these things, waters part and angels and there's chariots of fire, but this is weird. This is not Narnia, okay? This is not Harry Potter land. Animals do not talk. Maybe like parrots and a few other birds and they talk that one gorilla, some sign language, but mostly speaking, animals do not talk. And here's what's weirder about this story. When Balaam's donkey starts talking to them, he isn't surprised. As a matter of fact, he's so mad. You ever been so mad that you're just missing everything around you? He's so mad when the donkey says, wait a second, I'm the same donkey that you've ridden all the time. I haven't done anything like this before. And he says, I'm so mad if I had a sword of me, I'd kill you. Now, I don't know. If you were out, say, riding the donkey you've owned your whole life, and it started talking to you what you might say, I think I might say something like, my donkey can't talk. You know, like you would, I would be freaking out, I think, at first. Then I'd be a little hurt, right? I'd be like, all these times we're out here driving along. We could have been talking about the bachelorette from last night. But no, Mr. Silent treatment over here. And here's what's really strange. Balaam's reaction is, I'm going to kill this donkey. Let me tell you something. If you ever do have a don talking donkey, don't kill it. You can make millions. Never kill your talking. As a matter of fact, if you miss everything else I say today, remember this. Never kill a talking donkey, okay? But here's what's the strangest thing about this story. Even if you've heard this story a hundred times, the thing that you've probably missed every time that you've read it. There is an angel of the Lord with a sword standing in the road that a dumb animal can see, but Balaam is somehow blind to it. The Bible doesn't say that God gave the donkey the ability to see. It says he gives him the ability to talk at some point. The donkey sees what is clearly there all along, but Balaam is blind to it for some reason. God is trying to block his path and direct him and send him another way that is unblocked 
and yet he is missing it completely because of his awareness efficiency disorder, deficiency disorder. And, you know, it's kind of amazing if you think about you and I. Now, we can look at this story and go, oh, stupid Balaam, what is he doing? He's trying to kill a talking donkey, and he can't see an angel standing in the road that's going to take his own life if he keeps going that way. But you and I miss it all the time. And men, I think that probably we have to admit as men, we sort of miss a lot more things than women, right? Like I, I've long thought that men and women, you know, that women, can I tell you something? Uh, men don't take hints, okay? Now you can hint your entire life. My wife and I have been married almost 26 years. I still don't get hints from her. We don't take hints. We're, we're just, we miss things like that. I was thinking about some of the stupidest things I've ever done. This is no joke. My son and some friends from college, their kids were born on the same day. Their daughter and my son were born on the same day. And then they had another daughter, and we were at a party where they were celebrating the birthday of their daughter. So our son came, and they had another daughter. And I'm standing there holding the daughter, talking to the mom, who I've known since college. And she's standing there. And how many of you know that when a, when a woman has a child, she doesn't go exactly back to marathon running shape in her body? And I was standing there talking to her, and I said, boy, I bet you're going to be glad when that baby comes out. It's so hot this time of year. And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? The baby you're holding? And all of a sudden, I was like, what am I talking about? Boo, boo, danger, Will Robinson, what's happening? And I don't know what to say. I thought, this has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever said in my entire life. And so I just thought, I'll turn it back on her. So I looked at her, I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. And I just handed her the baby and walked away indignant. I, now, you might be thinking, did that really happen? Would I tell you that story if it hadn't actually happened? You know, it's crazy the things that we miss along the way. You and I, as human beings, we are clueless. But man, I think we're a little bit more. My wife sends me to the refrigerator and says, hey, can you get the whatever out of the refrigerator? I go, open the door, stand. I could stare. I move up and down, back and forth. I can't see it. I go, I don't, I don't think it's in there. And then she comes back and looks at it. The reason why is because when I go to the refrigerator, this is what I see. When she comes to the refrigerator, this is what she sees. That's right, because men suffer from refrigerator blindness. It's the inability to see anything that is not on the front of each shelf. Now, that's kind of annoying if you're a woman, that your man in your life does that to you. But I tell you, it gets a lot more serious when you and I are missing what God's up to, especially because we can look back and see perfectly what God has been up to. Here's the pattern that you and I live through in our lives, okay? We're in a situation, and we can't see what God is up to, and we go, I don't know what's happening in this whole situation. God has left me behind. He's not there. And all of a sudden, boom, God comes through at just the right times. And then we go, oh, I see what God was up to. And if he had told me earlier what he's up to, I would have missed this and this and this along the road. But now I'm in a new situation, and because I don't know exactly what God is up to, I assume he's probably not up to anything. 
I, you know, one of my favorite movies, I grew up in the 1980s as a teenager, one of my favorite movies is The Karate Kid. Now, if you've never seen The Karate Kid, you should leave church and go watch The Karate Kid right now, okay? This is one of the greatest movies of all times, and if you don't remember it or haven't seen it, Ralph Macchio plays this kid from New Jersey who moves to California, gets beat up by a bunch of kids at his school, and then all of a sudden a short Japanese guy from Okinawa shows up and he beats them up and they decide that they're going to settle their disputes in the ring for karate. One problem, Ralph Macchio does not know any karate, but Mr. Miyagi says, I will teach you karate. And when he gets them together, he says, you got to remember this. You either do karate yes or do karate no. You do karate halfway, squash just like grape. And he says, Here's, you have to do whatever I say, okay? And what he tells him to do is he shows up the next day and he has him start waxing cars. And then the next day he shows up after he, by the way, he waxes on, waxes off. Thank you very much, ma'am. And then the next day he shows up and it turns out he's sanding the deck. No karate yet, just sanding the deck. And then the next day he shows up and he gets to paint the fence. And you have to do it in a certain way, exactly, exactly like Mr. Miyagi tells him to. And the last day he shows up and he's going to paint the house. And finally... When Mr. Miyagi isn't even there, he shows up late at night after the whole house has been painted and Ralph Macchio is not happy and the scene plays out like this. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I'd watch your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? And not everything is as seen. Daniel-san! Daniel-san! What? Come here. Show me sand the floor. Sand the floor. Sand the floor. Big sucker, Sanda Floa. Sanda Floa. Now show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Concentrate. Look at my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Show me paint a fence. Up, down. Up, down, up, down, other side, look eye, always look eye. Show me, paint the house, side, side. Lock wrist, side, 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 side. Show me, wax on, wax off. Yes! Yes! Show me pentafence. Yes! 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 Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand of floor. Yes! 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 Come back tomorrow. I know, right? I remember the first time I watched this and I was like, yes, Danielson, not everything is always as it seems. And you know, it's interesting because this is the thing that you and I see all along. You say, God, I know that in the past it seemed like I was just sanding decks and I was just waxing cars, but you were teaching me karate the whole time, but now... I'm pretty sure I'm just standing in a fence and painting the house, and I'm learning nothing. 
because we can look back and see perfectly, but in the present tense, our awareness deficiency disorder is at its height, and we miss it, but God is trying to show us, look what I'm doing, just trust me, because I'm there all along. And we have to overcome it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, listen, here's the deal. What you and I think is this, that we live in this real tangible world where you can feel and touch and taste and hear and smell things. But... Out there, there's this other ethereal world that's sort of unreal, but that's where God operates. It exists too. And God is saying, no, listen, that's the real world. This is just an avatar for something else that really exists. This is temporary. And if you keep your eyes on what you see and you keep your ears on what you can hear and you keep your feelings on what you can touch, you will miss what is actually real. Listen, Paul says, use your eyes and you'll be distracted. Remember, he's somebody that his whole life was educated, had the right connections, was doing all the right things. He met Jesus, and Jesus struck him blind for three days. And for the first time, he could really see what mattered. Blindness, physical blindness, is nothing like the spiritual blindness that you and I constantly live in. And this happens to us over and over and over and over again. We miss it. We miss it. And it's not new. Elijah could see armies that were bigger than the armies that were against them. Ezekiel could see dry bones come into life. Jesus is constantly saying to his disciples, listen, if you just could get it, I'd like to tell you so much, but you won't understand now, but you will understand later because it's difficult to see it's the human condition that you and I live in. And it's not just in big situations, it's in the little things. I love this idea of taking people to ice cream. I have interactions with people all the time, and I've found that if I just pay attention to what God is saying, something happens along the way. Not too long ago, I was flying on a plane back from some assemblies that we were doing, and we got diverted. We were supposed to go from Denver to Sacramento. Instead, we ended up going through Albuquerque. Anytime you have to go to Albuquerque, that's never a good thing. And so as we were on the plane, there wasn't that many people on the plane, and I always sit near the back so hopefully no one's sitting next to me and two seats over there was an elderly lady and we started talking a little bit she was dressed really nice it turned out she was a lawyer from Denver and she started talking about the emptiness and all of her rich friends lives and we just talked for a while and then the flight attendant came back and it was southwest they're always nice the flight attendant was a little rude to both of us it was kind of weird and I kind of looked at her and we're like hmm like that and after a minute I asked her, I said, so what are you going to Albuquerque for? Because it seemed like she was going there on purpose. And she said, well, she said, my daughter, um, she said she went to Texas Tech and she got a degree in economics and her husband got a degree in engineering. She said, but she got involved in this thing. And I don't even know like if it was a cult or what, it was called InterVarsity. If you don't know, InterVarsity is just a ministry on campus. It's completely normal. It's just like church on campus for college students. And she said, yeah, she got so involved in this thing that when they graduated, her her and her husband, who she met in this thing, they went to Albuquerque to start at one of these groups at the university in Albuquerque. And she said, it's just kind of weird. You know anything about that? And I kind of just said, I don't know. You know, and we started talking for a little bit longer. And I said, oh, so you're going to visit her? And she said, well, 
my daughter about 10 months ago became pregnant. She said, and we were all excited, it was going to be my first grandchild. They knew they were going to have a son after a while. She said, but uh, about six months in when they did the amniocentesis, so they found out they were going to have a child with severe Down syndrome. She said, and I was just grieving and freaking out. She said, but my daughter is almost weird. I don't know if it's this cult thing. She seemed completely at peace with the whole situation. She just said, if this is the child that God has for us, it's the child that we'll have. And she said, but it was worse than they thought. She said, and um, my grandson, he only lived for three days. She said, I was there um, and just kind of helping and things are pretty tough. She said, but uh, I had to go back to the law firm in Denver for a week and now I'm going back. We're going it, to, it's time to repaint the nursery back to a regular room. It's just a little too much to take walking by that every day. And I just sat there. I didn't know what to say because I'm like, you. Yeah. I was just like, oh. And then all of a sudden, the Lord started to just terrify me with the question. And after a minute, I said, hey, I hope you don't mind me asking. I said, but, um, you know, you're talking about your granddaughter and your son-in-law, and they're grieving. And I said, but this is going to be your first grandchild. How are you doing? And she instantly began to weep uncontrollably. And I didn't know what to do. It was a weird situation. I mean, she's sobbing. People in the seats around us are looking back at me like, what did you say? And I don't know what to do. And she keeps trying to apologize for sobbing. And I, I, after a while, you know, it was really getting weird. And I just said, hey, can I pray for you? And I had told her that what I was doing and that I was a minister. And so she just nodded her head and I began to pray for her. And the minute I did, the Holy Spirit filled the back of that room just like worship this morning. And now people were looking around. You know, it changes the room. And people were looking around like, what's going on? And we finished the, uh, we finished the plane ride. And as we were, I was going to change lanes. And she was getting off the plane. As we were walking down the jetway, we were still talking. And she said, you got that thing that my daughter has. And my son-in-law, she said, I think it's probably time to talk to her about what it is. Because I don't have it. And obviously, it's something I need. This was, this was weird what happened. But it's something... It feels like something is happening. And I walked away from that situation. I thought, how many times have I just missed it in my life where I didn't know what was going on? And we can miss it so easy when God is saying, hey, listen, listen up. Just quiet down for a second and maybe I want to use you to speak to somebody. Maybe it's over a sugar-free ice cream. Maybe it's why you're doing something else. But God wants to do something through us. And listen, we have so many opportunities. It says this, and Jesus says this in John 16, 12 and 13. He says, there's so much more I want to tell you. You can't bear it. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And listen, he wants to guide us into things that we would not otherwise see. He wants to break down the blockage and give us a spiritual awareness that we didn't otherwise know about. And I got to tell you, sometimes God gives us big dreams. It's just a couple of years ago. I stood there in front of a hill just covered with cactus. And I was standing there with a lady who said, we will give you this piece of land, an acre and a half, because we had talked about building homes for ladies that were coming out of trafficking and their children because orphanages are filled in places like Mexico with kids who their parents are not dead. They just cannot raise their own children. And I thought, if we began to do this, maybe we could change things and we could give these kids a chance and maybe we can see some healing in their mom's lives, but, but these kids don't have to grow up and continue the cycle. And I remember standing there with a friend of mine who was at a church in San Diego, and he just looked there and he said, okay. 
And so he called me, he said, hey, you want, he goes, hey, I'm going to talk to our missions committee about giving you some money for this project. And I said, great. I said, hey, can I just fly down and uh, do it? He said, well, it's only like five minutes. And I said, yeah, I'll fly down. He goes, well, I'm going to try to get him to give you ten to $15,000. And I said, okay, that sounds great. So when I went in, I presented what we were going to do, and you could just feel it in the room. And I walked out, and they called me, and they said, can you come back in? I said, why? They said, well, he said, they liked the project. They just didn't think the amount was right. They want to give you $40,000. And so, a year later, when I took my friend there, we had already 27 kids living there with four moms, and they were going to church, and some of them were already saving up. As a matter of fact, two of our women now at two years have already graduated and own a home of their own that we built for them, and God is just doing absolutely amazing things, but I remember as he came over the hill a year later, and he looked and saw what was happening, and and the children running around, and he just said, can't believe it. And I said, what do you mean you can't believe it? He goes, you guys actually did this. And I said, yeah. He goes, I thought, no way. It's impossible. And I said, why do you give us $40,000? He said, you were really convincing. Sometimes you have to be able to see what no one else can see. Even some of the people that God is going to bring along on your team to make it happen, the dreams that affect more than just you, you have to be able to see what they can't see. And for them to just say, I don't know, I don't know if I believe you, but it feels like God's up to something here. This is the way it works, and there are opportunities. We are, we're working with homeless youth in Sacramento, and we're working with refugees coming, and we're working with at-risk kids, and it's the people that along the way that no one else has seen. You know, Winston Churchill said, when I see a problem, I see an opportunity. Some people, when they see an opportunity, they just see a problem. And you have to decide. God wants to do something through you and me. Okay, let me just break this down as we close. And if somebody wants to come to the uh, uh, keyboard or um, guitar or whatever as we close, listen, I just want to give you a couple takeaways. Number one, don't limit God. God uses some obscure prophet, psychic type guy, and he can use you. God uses a donkey to speak in this story. He can use you. Don't decide that that's not what's going to happen. Number two, don't just do what you've seen someone else do successfully. Listen, I've seen God do the craziest things because we opened our hearts to what God might be up to. In a couple of weeks when I go and speak, uh, six years ago, I stood there in New Orleans with a guy, and the way our, our sex trafficking assembly started is I sat there and I said, hey, listen, why don't you help us? And he said, what do you want to do? I said, we're going to play 3D videos on a 42-foot screen, and then we're going to have people come in and talk about what pimps and exploiters are really up to, and then we're going to have a survivor come, and we're going to talk, and we're going to do this whole thing. He says, does anybody want this? I said, no. He said, it sounds weird. I said, I know. He said, well, what do you want to do? And long story short, two months later, we spoke in 57 schools, saw over 100 girls rescued from human trafficking, and saw amazing things happen. Since that time, we've worked with five state attorney generals, the FBI, Homeland Security, and God just continues to open doors. Nothing like that had been done before. So it's a little scary when you step out and do it. It's a little scary when people say, that sounds like a stupid idea. And I say, I know, but sometimes God uses stupid ideas. Sometimes he even uses dumb animals to speak. So why not us? The third one is this, expect a beating. The donkey speaks up and speaks truth. 
and he gets beat three different times. A lot of us, we say, I stepped out on what God wants to do, but now there's opposition, so it must not be God. Jesus said, all men will hate you because of me. Isn't that a blessing in your life? God promises us difficulty. God promises us pain along the way. Those are not signs that we're not doing what we're supposed to doing, be doing. Much of the scripture from the epistles of Paul, he writes from prison after he gets a beating. He will eventually be murdered like all other 11 of the disciples except for Judas and John. John was boiled in oil, but he lived through it. And Judas took his own life, but the rest of those guys were all murdered. You can expect when you're doing the right thing that pain will come your way. It's part of the purpose of God in our lives to, to do what He wants to do in and through us. And the last thing is this, don't disqualify yourself, okay? People, again, I already said it, people say, How, uh, why, why does all this crazy stuff happen to you? And I say, well, I just assume that God had already asked a couple people that were actually qualified, and they said no. And then he just thought, well, crazy guy Jeff, he'll do it, and he'll convince a bunch of other idiots that believe with him. And I've seen the incredible happen. I've seen God do amazing things. As I've traveled around the world to more than 40 countries, 42 states, spoken to more than a million people, seen hundreds of people traffic, seen thousands and even more than 100,000 people respond to the gospel. God has done amazing things. And I tell you that not to show you how talented I am, but to let you know I'm not that talented. I'm just a little crazy. Because when I see God open a door, I go, that's God unblocking the way I'm going through. Just because God unblocks the way for you doesn't matter if you refuse to go past that blockage. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. Listen, I started out talking about donkeys. Let me just end with this story about puppies. My wife is a long, long, lifelong dog hater. A couple of years ago, some friends had a dog. She fell in love with this dog. It was a boxer. I was in a foreign country. She said, when you get back, she said, somebody's giving away their boxer on Craigslist. Do you want to go see it? I said, we can go see it, but we're not taking it home. We took home an 85-pound boxer. And my wife went from somebody who didn't like dogs at all because they're smelly and they're rambunctious and they're loud and they slobber to one of those weird people that like post pictures of herself on Instagram with her dog. And so along the way, I thought, well, you know, it'd be fun. When I was a kid, we raised puppies and um, I thought this would be fun. So I said, we should do it one time. You know, we can get another boxer and we could sell some of the puppies and give some of them away. Maybe we'll keep one. And my wife said, okay, but you have to help me if we do this. And I said, my dear, we have raised two children together. She said, that's what I'm concerned about. Sure enough, I was out of the country when the dogs were born. She's calling me, the dog's in labor. I go, don't worry. Dogs have dogs in the fields somewhere. And they get it. She goes, yes, but the, if they die, that's on them. If something happens to these dogs, I'll feel devastated. And a friend came over and helped. And, and I'll tell you what, I got home a couple days later. And I had forgotten something from my childhood. And I, that it was amazing to me because I remember being so amazed as a kid. Puppies are born completely blind. 
not just blind, but with their eyes like welded shut. My son was like all concerned. My, my, De- my son Declan's autistic. And he said, ah, oh, help them. And he was trying to open their eyes. I said, no, no, no. God shut their eyes. God will open their eyes. There's one for you right there. And it is amazing as I watched this for a couple of days until these puppies open their eyes that somehow they don't only survive, they thrive. They gain weight. They find, And you know how they do it? With only two instincts. They're just born with two instincts. Number one, stay close to mom. Mom is the source of life. She gave us life, and she has everything that we need to stay alive. And number two, when mom's not around, stick close together. They call it a dog pile. We stay warm, and we don't die because we stick together. Two things, stay close to the Creator and stick together with His other creations. I probably don't need to apply that for you. Listen, when you're blind, just those two things, just keep following what you know. Stay close to God, believing that He has given you life and He has everything that you need to live the life that He has laid out for you. And when you don't know what else to do, stick close to the people around you because we'll get there. Would you guys bow your heads with me this morning? God, in this room, God, I'm looking into the eyes of people in this room that, God, you have a plan for. God, some of them today are here, and, Lord, they feel like you've given them a dream. God, you've given them a vision, but it's been so long, and it's died out, and they've given up. God, Would you show them that you are opening doors, you are unblocking the way. It's just their inability to see it. God, there's people in this room that they just feel like, I've missed it. I'm sitting on the sidelines. And God, today, would you reignite that fire? That God, if we would just close our eyes and look into eternity, we could really see what you have for us to see, God. And there's a third group of people in this room. God, there's people in this room that, God, you have given them a dream and they haven't given up, but they're scared. God, there's people in this room that they know what you've called them to, but they're afraid. They can see it, but because they can't see all of it, God, they're not sure what the next step to take is. God, would you show them that the next step to take is one step. And across this room, I'm just going to pray one more prayer of blessing over you before I give it back to, to Pastor Trent. If you say, hey, you know what? God spoke to my heart. It's really between you and God. I'm not even opening my eyes. But you want to show God, God, I heard you today. I'm listening don't stop speaking when I walk out of this room. Keep speaking to me. Keep showing me things. Just put your hand up really quickly. God, across this room, I pray, God, would you not let this be one of those minutes where we get out of here and then we go to in and out and forget it all. But God, continue to challenge us to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to feel what you feel. God, we want to follow your way. Speak to us in Jesus' name.